You're listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Tony, my man, what's going on? Yo, what's up, Chris? Not much, man. Yeah, late night, man. I'm still recovering. Glad I had a solid DR plan. Oh, you know what's odd, though? I got this electric bill in my mailbox. It's addressed to you. You might want to take a look. It looks important. Oh, thanks, man. I actually got a box delivered first class for you, but I just signed for it and kept it. Anyway, what are you drinking tonight? Bro, you know me. I'm always down for a good bourbon drink. Oh, yeah, bro. I got something lined up for you. It's called the Rye Bandit. It's two ounces bourbon, one ounce Amaro Del Serene, one ounce Luna Amaro Bitter. Wow, I didn't even know I could pronounce that. You add all of those ingredients in a mixing glass with ice and stir. Then pour it into a rocks glass over ice and optionally garnish it with an orange twist. Enjoy, Chris. Wow, okay, thanks, Tom. I'm going to go steal this empty high top before someone takes it. I got a real interesting conversation lined up with an expert on identity theft. Yo, yo, what the? Wait, what's going on, man? Yo, Chris, why are you behind the bar? And yo, what is going on? I need to see some identity, man. Give me your IDs, man. Driver's license, something. I'll see you next round. Adam Levin is a nationally recognized expert on cybersecurity, privacy, identity theft, fraud, and personal finance, and has distinguished himself as a fierce consumer advocate for the past 40 years. He's the founder of CyberScout and co-founder of Credit.com. He also authored the critically acclaimed book, Swiped, How to Protect Yourself in a World Full of Scammers, Fishers, and Identity Thieves. Adam, thanks for stopping by Barcode. It's an honor to have you on. Hey, listen, thanks for inviting me, Chris. Absolutely. So I often get asked from others, how can I protect myself from identity theft? And for me personally, I always tend to go down the rabbit hole of suggesting certain safeguards for certain situations that that may be relevant, whether that's account fraud, financial fraud, uh, criminal identity theft, and so on. So from your perspective, is there a way to simplify that down or provide some core recommendations to those seeking to take actionable steps to protect themselves. No, I, I think there, there is a way to do it. Uh, and in the book swiped, uh, one of the theories that I posit, it's a, a kind of a framework. And that is that we're living in a world where breaches have become the third certainty in life behind death and taxes. And also there's an enormous amount of oversharing and we're surrounded by billions of internet of things, devices that are, tracking us, listening to us. And we also live in a surveillance economy where the way that businesses thrive is they want to know every possible piece of information about you. And unfortunately, people are more than willing to provide that information in return for what they believe may be a more customized experience. Plus, people overshare like mad on social media, every morsel of their lives. So that's the environment. Now, you also have a perfect storm and the perfect storm is that you have an, an economic disaster, you have an, a pandemic, 
and you have a sort of political turmoil that's occurring worldwide. And certainly in, in, in the United States, we we live through a period certainly of tumult, uh, which seems to be calming down a bit. So all of this is going on. So you have to assume it's not if, but when. So how do you deal with this? Well, I the framework I created is called the three M's. And that's how do you minimize your risk of exposure, reduce your attackable surface? How do you monitor so you effectively know that you have an issue as quickly as possible? And how do you manage the damage? And, you know, a lot of the first M is the stuff that you and I have talked about individually over all these years, which is password protocols, two-factor authentication, not clicking on links, not opening in attachments that are somewhat unfamiliar, freezing credit, not downloading apps from third parties unless you've read every single review and wherever you're getting it from is a, is a reputable organization. Uh, never authenticating yourself to someone who contacts you. Uh, that if you're in control of the interaction, albeit online or on by the by phone, uh, that's one thing. But if somebody out of the blue calls you, represents themselves to be from an organization with which you have a relationship, a financial institution a government agency, get their number, independently confirm it, then call them back. Uh, so all of these things, plus uh, other you know common sense things that, that you would do, including something as simple as shredding, never end, underestimate the humble shredder as long as it's a cross-cut shredder and not a ribbon-cut shredder. The second M uh, how do you effectively monitor? Well, everything from getting your credit reports, not just saying, hey, I got my credit report, but actually looking at it. And it's not about what you did that should concern you on your credit report. It's what you didn't do that shows up on your credit report. Tracking your credit scores. If they take an unprecipitous drop or they take a precipitous drop and it's unexplained. So that it can either be one of three reasons. You fail to pay a bill on time. You're using too much of your available credit, both bad, but not the end of the world. Or you're a victim of identity theft, which takes it to an entirely new level. Signing up for transaction monitoring alerts that come from your financial institutions, that's free. Banks and credit card companies want you to have that information because it is possible especially since so many credit and debit cards are sold online on the dark web by zip code. So that means that they could actually evade bank tracking systems. So the bank may miss it. The credit card company may miss it, but you won't miss it. Also reading explanation of benefit statements that you receive from your health insurers, especially during this period of COVID uh, you know, a lot of untoward things have gone on and hackers have viewed this as El Dorado. You need to review these because you may look and say, well, there may have been a doctor's appointment with some doctor that is familiar to me or in a hospital that I've been at before or a medical group, but it's not me. And therefore, you notify your insurance companies directly or you get more sophisticated forms of monitoring that also includes dark web monitoring and instant alerts. 
And then the final M, how do you manage the damages? A lot of people don't realize that through their insurance company, their financial services organization, or their employer, there are now programs available to help people through identity incidents. It might be free. It might be deeply discounted uh, or maybe not. But what you need to do is say, is there a program? Am I in it? If not, what do I need to do to get in it? Is it free, discounted, or what's it going to cost? Very interesting. The third M is something that I'm not familiar with, and many people may not be. And it's something that I think is important for those to check with their employers to see if that is available, because I think that's something very important that they should know about. Um, Approximately 35 to 37% of employers now offer identity protection assistance for employees. Uh, It is estimated in the next three to five years, that number will go to 75%. And there there are three reasons. Uh, One is they don't want a distracted employee. Mm -hmm. And you are distracted if you're a victim of identity theft. They want a productive employee, which becomes more difficult if you're a victim of identity theft. And the third thing they've realized, it's in their own self-interest because if I'm an employee and I'm a victim of identity theft, and as part of that our identity theft, that identity theft, my credentials that I use, user ID and password, are stolen. And if I happen to be like an overwhelming majority of people and use the same user ID and password or part of that combination throughout my entire universe of websites or something similar, that means that my company could be exposed as well. So, you know, the important thing about identity theft and scams is that when you look in the mirror, you see you. And it's like people go, I'm just a regular person. Why would anyone care about my identity or my sensitive personal information? Well, it could be because it's not about you. It's about where you work who you're married to, who your parent is, who your children are, who your friends are, what nonprofit organization that you're affiliated with. So you could be the conduit to a much larger river. And as a result, that's the way they want to go. Because if you look at a lot of the breaches that have occurred, they don't go through the front door. They go through a a subcontractor, a vendor of that particular organization, like Target with the HVAC subcontractor, or the solar winds disaster where they used the update for this software platform, this platform to basically be the the kayak that they used to get into many government agencies as well as businesses. So again, you look like you to you. To a hacker, you're Adam Levine or Jay-Z or Beyonce. Uh, So you always have to keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. The ones that don't feel like they are the target are probably the target. You know, we're in in a crazy era right now with COVID and the pandemic. And as you're aware, more folks are working from home these days. And having that luxury brings a hybrid of work mentality, also with a high level of comfortability. Have you seen a rise in scammers targeting work from home individuals? And if so, what are some of the red flags the remote workforce should look for? Well, definitely there's been a, there's been a rise. As a matter of fact, they were talking last year about the fact that just from the period of February to 
June, there was a 30,000% increase in, in cyber crime, especially related to anything to do with COVID. Now you'll say, well, there's, there was nothing for COVID in the beginning, but the truth is that it, it's still part of how we work, how we live. And you had so many people who were working from home and their children were home and they were juggling work responsibilities with parental responsibilities, with being the teacher that your kids will later come to you and say, I hated my teacher, never put that person in a teaching environment with me again. And you look at them and go, but I was the teacher. And they look at you and <laughs> smile and shake their heads. And that created an environment of carelessness. Uh, because you could have been sharing your digital devices with members of the family and especially those devices that you're using for work. And, you know, that's why I've always advised businesses to provide whatever device that you want your people to work on. If they're working remotely, you as the business, give it to them. You as the business control, uh, what apps go on that device you as the business have your security department to make sure that they are tracking these devices and checking these devices to make sure that the right security protocols are there and maintained, especially because if you're sharing devices, one thing I've learned about kids, and I have an eight and a half year old, is uh, that they can be weapons of mass destruction within a household, especially when it comes to, to all things cyber. So you have people working from home you have companies trying to figure out exactly how to better secure their systems with remote interactions. You also have the ability for people to steal identities and then convince and fake out business systems to believe that they are the right person is communicating with them. And then you have all of the vulnerabilities that came with it. Like, for instance, never before have people been as maniacally focused on something as from March till almost the beginning of this year, people have been focused on COVID. So anything that related to COVID, whether it was protective gear, updates as to the progress of the pandemic, uh, tracking. So you get a phone call or a text or an email that has to do with the fact that you might be exposed and they're trying to track down who the people are. Vaccination sites. Uh, a fertile field for fraud uh, with people uh, waiting to get uh, some kind of communication about, well, uh, you are eligible and you can go here uh, or they direct you to the place where you can sign up for it. And now there's been an outbreak of surveys relating to how, how are you doing with the vaccine? Uh, you know, you've had a couple shots. Add to that. You have people who are so excited by getting getting their vaccine. The first thing they do is they post their vaccination card <laughs> online. And now, you know, their full name, their date of birth, uh, where they got their vaccination and what they got. So for uh, scammers and hackers looking to social engineer people into giving up way too much information, they know enough about you that if they can get your contact information, which they can, because so much of it's available for sale on the dark web because of leaks and breaches and oversharing, they put it together and they launch phishing attacks against you and you fall for it. And suddenly you're giving away credit card information. You could be giving away a social security number, 
And now add to that also the fact that as a result of the, the pandemic, there were delays in tax filings that the government granted, which meant more people were focused on anything that came out that involved when their taxes might be due. And you have this crazy situation, like even this year, where your 2021 estimated taxes were due on April 15th and your 2020 taxes are now due on May 15th. So every everything is backwards and, and people are, if they get a call from the Internal Revenue Service, uh, they pay attention, except the Internal Revenue Service doesn't make the phone call or they get a call from their bank because there might have been suspicious activity in their accounts, except it may not be their bank that's actually calling them. So this was the perfect environment for what I call the pantheon of ishings, which is general fishing, which is dear cardholder, dear member, dear account holder, dear citizen of the state of whatever state, uh, spear fishing, dear Chris, uh, vishing, which is where you get a phone call that you think is legitimate, but they start asking you one or two or three many, uh, too many questions that get too much information or smishing, which is SMS text-based phishing. And you've, you're getting a lot of that now regarding uh, fake COVID surveys. Um, the holidays are coming around now. So Mother's Day, Father's Day, a new scam that's been going out, which is a smishing scam is where you get a text saying that your order has been delayed. This is the postal service. If you want more information on when the new delivery will occur, click here. So this is the environment we're operating in. And add to all of that, the presidential election and the special runoff elections in Georgia, with everybody paying attention to every piece of information that was coming out and the disinformation campaigns and people clicking on wrong links. Yeah. So I'd say the days of the Nigerian prince scams are over. These guys are much more established now. And, you know, social media now is a goldmine, really. You're, you don't necessarily have to give up information. They can go out and take it. Well, that, that's the point. And that's why, you know, one of the pieces of advice that I think is, is important is for people to understand that, you know, how when you set up the security questions and answers, so many people don't realize that a great deal of the information that you have as your answers are facts that anyone can find by they going following you on social media. So I, uh, the, the advice is simple. Lie like a superhero. When they ask you what high school you went to, if you went to Brearley High School, tell them you went to Sky High. Or if they ask for your mother's maiden name and her name is Smith, say it's Jones. Uh, or they ask you, uh, you know, where you went to college. Now, unfortunately, because of LinkedIn and all the other social media uh, uh, platforms, people do tend to be very honest about where they go to school, you know, what they do. That's why it's important to lie like a superhero. Yeah. And I would add to that. Don't use the same lie. Absolutely. If but someone also finds out that one. Don't be so creative when you come up with these lies that you end up forgetting what you said. And then you end up getting locked out of your accounts. Exactly. Exactly. So I just want to shift off of the individual for a moment and focus on businesses. Would you say businesses are susceptible to identity theft as well? And if so, could you expand on that a bit? Why would a perpetrator want to impersonate a business? 
Well, they are susceptible. And yes, perpetrators would want to would want to represent themselves to be coming from a legitimate business. Uh, we certainly know that scammers and hackers are very effective at spoofing, spoofing phone numbers, spoofing the names of organizations attached to those phone numbers. I mean, if you look at your caller ID and it says the Internal Revenue Service, that doesn't mean it is the Internal Revenue Service. That doesn't mean it's the local hardware store. I mean, I've been at demonstrations where somebody would like put in three or four numbers into a phone and they would walk around the audience and say, so what is, what's the name of your company? And they would give the name of a local or a company and they would say, what's your phone number? And they would do it. And then the person would get up on stage and hit a few numbers. And all of a sudden, someone else in the audience would get a phone call and it would be the name of the business and the phone number from that business. So they can they can do that for Bank of America as easily they can do it for Joe's hardware store. And I've listened to a number of the recordings that that people get when they get calls from these institutions and they use the same music, the same kind of voice. They're really good. You're, you, we're up against people who are persistent, sophisticated, and creative. And the, the key word there is persistent. If they get onto something, they, it's like they're a piranha. They're, they're not going to get off. And especially if they think they've got a willing victim and they do love to prey upon senior citizens, for instance. So you have that, the spoofing problem. The other problem you have is typo squatting which is where the email or the URL looks pretty legitimate. Unfortunately, there may be a letter that's different. There may be a missing letter. You know, for years, one of the games in town was that you would, uh, the URL would be something dot com. But many people went out, the bad guys too, and they bought domains that were the name of the legitimate organization, but it was .cm, which is Cameroon. <laughs> so, um, and they use that and, and it would just be in the simple process of typing in a URL, people would just hit the wrong letter or think they hit a letter that they didn't hit. And all of a sudden they end up on a site that looks really authentic because that's the other thing these guys are really good at is creating clone sites where you would swear it's the Bank of America site, it's the Walmart site, it's the Amazon site. Uh, so they do that and they've been very effective at it. And then if you want to think about sort of, it's not exactly identity theft, but the whole issue of e-skimming. And that's where malicious code is placed on the legitimate website of a retailer. The retailer might be able to discover it if they're monitoring the way they should be monitoring their sites. But the consumer, they would have no way of knowing. So when they went on to the legitimate retailer site and they got to the, the checkout, uh, they would enter their information in there. But that information was actually being transmitted not only to the company, but to the hackers. So... It, it can be very lucrative to sort of hijack the identity of a business. Uh, plus, there's the whole all sorts of issues involving DNS, which is way in the weeds. And I'm I'm not as much of a technologist as I would like to be. But just understand it can be used 
And then what happens is that when a business gets hijacked, suddenly there's unexplained bank account withdrawals, unfamiliar credit accounts, which look almost like embezzlement. Plus, businesses also face a huge insider threat, which is where people within the organization will use the legitimate channels within that organization to then get their hands on data, which they sell through the dark web to other people, which can frankly destroy a business. A hundred percent. And I think that's where you need to take a good look at AppSec or tooling that could help control that. Well, you, you, you know, again, there are so many businesses that either don't have the resources, don't have the know-how, or in some cases don't care mm. because they have the attitude, again, looking in the mirror, I'm a little tool company in the, in the Midwest who would care about me. But unfortunately, again, it's not who you are as a business. It's what other businesses do you do business with? And if there's any way that your access to them can be used as a conduit for the bad guys, they're going to know about it and they're going to use it. Yeah. If an attacker can infiltrate a business by way of impersonation and redirect even just one transaction, that's it. It's game over. No, absolutely. And, and, and that's why I, you know, I try to tell every business that, that I've worked with over the years, um, just remember, you are your vendor. Mm. That if they get breached, effectively, you're breached, even if no one got into your database. But if you're sharing information with a vendor or that vendor is processing data for you and that data involves sensitive personal information, you're going to have a problem. And that's why it's it's critical that businesses vet vendors constantly. Great point. So with advancements in AI technology, for instance, deepfakes, advancements in social media, we already touched on this, but, you know, just more platforms being added and more ways to share out information and advancements with organizational structure, again, remote workforces. These are all rapidly increasing attack vectors for identity predators. How do you envision the future of identity theft to look? Well, actually, uh, you know, one of the good words is look, because deep fakes are even, even though technology is being developed, AI technology to actually identify deep fakes, AI technology is also using to create Deepfakes. Now, sometimes they could be for good purposes. They could be for fun. They could be for comedy. They could be for drama. But unfortunately, you know, you have a situation where deepfakes can create damage. For instance, there is a story, and it's not an urban legend, that uh, I guess about uh, a year ago, someone who was the CEO of a portfolio company received a phone call from the CEO of the parent company. Uh, saying that as part of a cooperative advertising program, they needed, he needed this particular CEO to wire money to this account and that all the CEOs were going to do it. Now, the CEO of the smaller company, the, the, the portfolio company, he said to himself, I, I know this guy. I've talked to this guy before. I'm talking to the, the big guy. He wired the money. And, uh, about a month later, it was determined. Uh, sorry, but that wasn't the big guy. 
and the money was gone and then he was gone. So, mm. um, you know, these things happen and people are especially, you know, they always warn people that if you get a, a robocall from something or you get a phone call and you answer it by saying yes, that's a big mistake. Uh, and the reason is because all they need to do is get your voice saying yes, and then you'll get a bill for something. You will challenge the bill and then you will be informed by the company. Don't be ridiculous. We have your name on a tape. Here it is. You said yes. And, you know, this is, again, all part of what we face in the future. Also, if you think about passwords, AI can crack passwords and it may even be able to extrapolate something like AI being used by the bad guys if they combine it with LinkedIn or Adobe passwords. And let's say your passwords were go Mets one, two, three, go Islanders four, five, six, an AI enabled algorithm might be able with brute force to guess the next one could be go Yankees seven, eight, nine, because people do have in, in their heads, they tend to group things together and use things that are familiar and maybe tied in one way or another. That's why, of course, you know, the, oh, the big rule of thumb is never recycle passwords and never share passwords and don't even think about similar passwords because you have algorithms out there now and AI driven technology that can brute force until they find whatever the pattern is. And of course, the other thing that's a problem in the future, too, is data scrapings. And of course, the issue is, is it a breach? Is it a hack? Is it a scrape? Is it a leak? Uh, but it, at the end of the day, it is that information is available in so many different ways. Oftentimes, that information is not encrypted. And oftentimes, uh, even if someone says, but that was public information, well, the answer is, well, if you take public information, including in particular phone numbers of 500 million people and somebody can find it all together, it's worth a great deal of money. Even if it was publicly available information, it was available, but you guys put it all together. And then you guys, for whatever reason, allowed, even if it was a vulnerability, to someone scrape that information and now people are in danger. And the other thing people have to keep in mind is, you know, we always put things in, in the frame of reference of the social security number is the skeleton key to your life. Well, you know what? Your cell phone number is now the skeleton key to your life. Because think about every place you go, every place that asks you for information, and what is the first or second thing they ask you? What's your phone number? Very true. I have a Google voice number just for that. Google Voice is pretty good because you have a secondary number and you can block numbers. You can make it appear that your phone's out of service. So my recommendation would, you know, keep your primary primary and then anything that you're either signing up for or you're not sure of and, you know, have a disposable number on hand. That seems to have worked you're not, No, you're not wrong about that at all. I mean, just like you should be, you know, you should be having the equivalent of a throwaway email address or two or three. And there are companies like uh, Nullify and others that, that actually have programs to help you anonymize your email so that when you sign up for a loyalty program at a particular retailer, your email address is you or whatever you want to use at 
that retailer. Uh, so therefore, okay. if that retailer ever gets breached, it's easier for the people who are their cyber experts to track when the breach occurred, how it occurred. And it also allows them to sandbox so that when a bad guy is trying to send email as if they were Target, Home Depot, whatever, that it can't get through the sandbox. So it's isolated um, you know, to the organization. Yeah. So people should, you know, uh, study those particular things. And, and again, read reviews, take a look at them. But anonymized email, just as VPNs, just as uh, but make sure if you're doing a VPN that it's one you pay for because free ones tend to gather your data and you never know what they do with it. Even even when they say we're really not going to do it. Remember Radio Shack? Well, oh, yeah. Radio Shack swore it would never sell data. They went bankrupt. And what was one of the first things sold in the bankruptcy? Data. Is that because they're not liable after they sold? Well, if they go, then it's in the hands of the uh, the trustee and it's a whole different regiment. Okay. So, okay. Um, you know, these things, so you always have to be careful. You have to be careful also that you may be dealing with an organization that you believe is a thousand percent safe and secure and they stand by their word, but they may get acquired by somebody else. And that's why, you know, the privacy policy that you believe you have today might not be the privacy policy or the terms and use policy that you're dealing with tomorrow because that company has been taken over by another company that has a very different view about privacy and security in terms and conditions. Yeah. Very interesting. You typically look at a privacy policy as law. Like this is it. This will not change unless I see a new revision distributed from the company. Although, as you pointed out, the privacy policy you receive today essentially may be invalid tomorrow. And on top of which, usually they're written in 27th grade English in mouse print. So <laughs> right. It's just like permissions. You know, so many times people are thrilled, hysterical. They have to have this newest app because it is the rage. And so they get it, they download it, and the permission thing comes up and it's like, ah, I don't care. I want it. Click. I agree. And then they find out later that they gave permissions to all kinds of things. If you remember the case that the FTC brought against uh, some of the flashlight software people uh, that buried in the permissions was their right for access to the contacts in your mobile device. Yeah. Why would a flashlight need that to function? Right. Yeah. I think Apple does a decent job of vetting apps that they allow in the app store versus Android. I agree. And obviously I think malicious apps could still get by. Although my hope is that the app vetting process from the platform perspective continues to improve. It is. I, th I think, and I, you know, an Apple really is a privacy centric organization, but you know, they gather data too. I mean, you have to, you have to operate under the theory that everybody is gathering data and because that's how they make money. And, you know, the new thing I was reading about is, you know, Google is saying, you know, we're going to be phasing out third party cookies, but now they're creating this new thing called FLOC, which has to do with cohorts, which, you know, in, in, in English, it basically means they're going to be grouping people together based on their interests as uh, demonstrated by searches and that 
depending upon, you know, five different things that you may be searching for, you may get thrown in with a group of people. And if, let's say, you're in a country that is not particularly favorable to certain people who are searching for certain things, and if by some chance you have gotten lumped in with them, it could be dangerous. Now, you wrote a book about this called Swiped, How to Protect Yourself in a World Full of Scammers, Fishers, and Identity Thieves. Could you tell us a little bit more about the book and where we can find it online? Well, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, it is in paperback form. And uh, I, we, the original publication was back in uh, 2015. It was published to coincide with the uh, two-year anniversary of Target, the one-year anniversary of Sony, um, or uh, Home Depot. Equifax and, was in there too, right? Well, yeah, time. well, Equifax actually was happening, happened, uh, right, I think after it, but, uh, it, it pretty much held, uh, true. The book still holds up today based on the kinds of things that it warns people about. And, you know, again, the whole point of the book is really to give people a framework because it can be pretty scary. Just like years ago, I started a company, credit.com, which I sold in 2015, but, yeah, the, the whole point of credit.com is that people would look at credit as this evil, scary, dark cloud that would be floating above their heads. And, you know, perhaps I was a little too ebullient when I said credit is your friend. But if you think about it, the way you make and keep a friend is that you respect it and this person and you are there for them and hope that because you're always there for them, they're there for you. And it's the same thing with uh, with credit is that if you build it, nurture it, manage it and protect it, uh, it will be there for you. It can be a wealth building tour tool. It can be a you know security, economic security tool for people. It can open up an entire world of possibilities, especially if you decide to go off on your own and start your own company. Not that you should immediately use 29.9% credit cards to finance the things that you buy for your business. Uh, you know, and uh, Dave Ramsey and I don't always agree on these particular things because he's, he's very, very uh, pointedly anti debt. And, and I am, I am, I am not pro debt, but I am pro credit building strong credit. Now, if you look at this in the context of what I call the three portfolio theory, which is when you normally said the word portfolio, the Pavlovian response of most people is investments. and But they forget that you have other portfolios in your life. It could be your education portfolio. It could be your career portfolio. But two biggies are your credit and your identity. And all of these portfolios, in particular, credit, identity, and investments are intertwined. The better your credit, the less you have to pay for money, the more money you have available to do other things in life, including investing. If your credit gets destroyed, you're going to have to rely on the money that you may be investing in order to pull you out of it until you rebuild your credit. If your identity is destroyed, it can end up seriously negatively impacting your credit as well as your investments. And that is because people can use fake identities, as we've talked about, as a way to crawl into your accounts, both for the purpose of creating new accounts, creating medical identity theft, child identity theft, 
criminal identity theft, account takeovers, things like that, uh, as well as the fact that they can get into your investment accounts, into your bank accounts and steal money. Or, you know, there have been stories and a lot of the brokerage firms and the, uh, the funds have been much better at this. Uh, but in the old days, if you were a victim of someone stealing your identity and stealing funds out of your brokerage accounts and the like, it would be looked at as on a case-by-case basis, mm. as opposed to now most of them have a policy that if you were a victim of identity theft and money is withdrawn from your accounts improperly, that they'll cover you on that. But that's why it's so important to just always think about everything in terms of portfolios and the fact that you, you, just as you would hope that you would have professional managers of your money, you need to be the professional manager of your credit and your identity because nobody knows what you do better than you, even though you may be almost clueless at the time you do something, but you know, you know, you did it. And no one has a greater interest in your economic security than you do. Business has not effectively protected us. Government has not protected us when it comes to the protection of our identities. And so, like it or not, prepared for it or not, there is a shared responsibility that we have a responsibility to also look after our our credit and our identity and make sure that we make wise decisions, that we don't do things impulsively, we don't click on links impulsively, we don't give away information just because someone asks us for a piece of information. Just because they ask doesn't mean we have to give it. And that's why it's it's just all part of this regimen. And you have to keep saying to yourself the three M's. Minimize exposure, monitor, manage the damage. In the case where someone's identity is compromised, can they ever 100% recover from that? They can. Absolutely, they can. But that means they have to either spend an extraordinary amount of time dealing with themselves or depending upon what third party vendor they may be using, whether it's a LifeLock, a Santique, a Credit.com, but Experian, they all have programs. And on top of that, of course, as we talked about earlier, insurance companies, financial institutions and employers have programs. Use access to those programs because these are professional people who deal with this on a daily basis, who can pick up the phone and get someone on the phone far faster than any one of us can. And especially if you're dealing with issues involving government agencies, it is a nightmare. If you're dealing with issues involving medical identity theft, it is a nightmare. You need a professional assisting you. And, and, but you can put your life back together again and, and do it the easier, easier way. That's not to say that it's not a, an upending experience for people. Doesn't mean that it's not an emotional experience for, I mean, you feel, you feel violated and you feel scared that someone has crawled into your life or into your child's life. So, Go to the professional, get their assistance. Don't be afraid to go to the professional. Don't be afraid that it makes you look silly. Some people have this 
sort of shame culture where they don't want to consult with anybody because they don't want to know. They don't tell their families they have a problem. And, you know, each and every one of these things is it's okay. It's okay. It's not, I mean, it's not anything anyone aspires to. I want to be a victim of identity theft. But if it happens, it happens. And part of the reason is you can do everything right. You can do all of the three M's. But if you're on the wrong database at the wrong moment and the wrong person gains unauthorized access and there's enough of your sensitive information on that database that they can effectively uh, convince someone that they're you, there's nothing you can do about it and you shouldn't feel shamed about it. If you get you know, caught up in a scam because you believed, I mean, people want to believe especially during COVID, people want to be able to communicate with people. If someone communicates with them, they're so excited for the communication because so many people were so isolated, just like with catfishing. Catfishing is a very embarrassing situation. It is a very painful situation, but you kind of need help to get through it. Great advice to those who have been victimized or will become victimized in knowing that there are services out there to help you get through it. One last thing that, that we should also uh, just uh, talk about very briefly, and sure. that is ransomware. And yes. because ransomware uh, can really be problematic. Uh, and that is when you click on the wrong link, you end up putting malicious code on your mobile device or your computer. And then all of a sudden you have the famous skull, the ticking clock, the invitation for you to, uh, here's where you call to get your Bitcoin to pay us. And it's going to double every 90 hours. Uh, and, you know, one of the things they've seen with ransomware attacks is, you know, in the old days, if a company in particular got hit with a ransomware attack, it was basically pay, we go away, we restore your files, or we lied to you, we didn't restore your files. Today, it's if you don't pay, we're going to release the information about people uh, on the dark web. Uh, and of course, a lot of businesses panic on that. And then the newest twist of that is that even if the business pays, uh, they then go to the people whose information was on the database and say, what's it worth to you for your information not to get out there? And a very interesting, uh, sad and uh, somewhat famous case in the past couple of years is that a couple of the uh, plastic surgeons on the West Coast uh, had their practices uh, victimized by ransomware. And imagine if you're a patient of, at a uh, someone who's doing plastic surgery and someone contacts you and says, we have your before and after pictures. What's it worth to you that they not get out there in cyberspace? So... That That is another piece of the identity equation, which again goes back to you don't click on links, you don't open attachments that you don't understand. And for businesses, how critical it is that businesses continually monitor when they find vulnerabilities to patch those vulnerabilities, because those are the vulnerabilities that hackers will use to put their ransomware in your systems. And it could cost the business a fortune and jeopardize the identities of all of the people that either work for it or are customers, clients of it. And the harsh reality is even if you do pay the ransom, there's zero guarantee 
that your data is safe. We, we, had a, we just dealt with a case recently, uh, very briefly, and, and, of, uh, and this has been a worldwide phishing campaign. And it was, you'll, you'll get an email and you'll see your email address. Now, it may be an email address that you used a while back and a password that you definitely used. And I will start by saying, we know that you have a penchant to go to porn sites. And unfortunately for you, one of the porn sites you visited had malware from us. And we were in that porn site and we used the access to that porn site to access your computer or your device. And we have video of you on a split screen celebrating your visit to this porn site as well as what it is you were watching during your celebration. Now, we can either send this video to your contacts, your family, your friends, because we're in your computer and in your email system. And if you, if you don't believe us, if you say, okay, give me proof, don't worry, we'll send you proof by contacting just five of your family members and friends with this video. Uh, or you can pay us anywhere from, depending upon the, the scam they're running, $1,000 to $14,000, but in Bitcoin. And uh, you would be surprised how many people fall for this and, you know, go into a deep panic because people go, did I? I don't remember, but that path, they, they have my password. And they, well, people forget that there have been so many breaches and breaches where user ID and passwords have been exposed. Just go to have I been pawned? And, uh, and it, if people see it, they see this thing, they get terrified and they pay. I've had 15 of these come to me. I know people that have had 20 or 30. I was doing a radio show once and the station manager, a woman walked in and said, Oh, I got eight of those myself. <laughs> it's like it, 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 it's a pandemic, but of, 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 uh, of significant proportion. And that's why, you know, again, stop, think. And, and realize that uh, a lot of this is scam. Yeah. Or buy a webcam cover. That too. <laughs> so since this is barcode, let's talk about the fact that fake IDs are often used by underage drinkers to access bars. I know there's tech available to aid in this, but do you have any advice for bartenders or doormen to quickly detect a fake ID? Well, one of the things is that I, I think with a lot of people, you can, you can look and you can know. And, okay. you know, sometimes they, you know, look the other way, but, you know, what was the, what was the one uh, bad? Uh, I forgot what it was, but it's a very funny thing where the guy's name was McLovin. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Super bad. That's it. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, you, you see something like that and you go, oh, come on, you know, yeah. but it, it's one of those things where just just people have to be really alert because the consequences are horrible uh, in terms of, you know, kids could get inebriated. They could end up getting hurt. Uh, the establishment where the children come into or the younger people come into could end up having their their license jeopardized, the people fired, and especially at a moment when we're already dealing with layoffs and everything else. So this is where you really need to be you know, even more hyper vigilant than before. 
but I'm, I'm sure there are, and, and again, this is technology that this being, but I'm sure there are ways, uh, that, uh, that businesses can be, uh, more, more effective in their monitoring of these things. Yeah. I've seen scanners that'll detect a hologram or the new real IDs will have the embedded RFID chip. So again, tech will help aid in the detection there. And then the other thing too, is when you talk about barcodes, I mean, there, there are ways that scammers can put malicious code into the barcode, I believe. And as a result of that, um, you know, people yeah. are innocently using the barcode and it ends up in their mobile device and then it creates a problem. Absolutely. So I just heard last call here, Adam. Do you have time for one more? Of course. All right. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? I would probably call it Cyber Bear. <laughs> okay. And uh, probably my signature drink would be, um, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, the uh, Cypaw. Uh, <laughs> It sounds intimidating. Well, it might be, but it might, it might, uh, the whole theory might be, uh, open yourself up to an entirely new realm. Try cyber, Paul. I love it. Would, would you build this in the woods? Absolutely. That'd be pretty cool. And, and, and if you think about, you know, all of the Russian hacking groups, Fancy Bear, Cozy Bear. There you go. So now we have Cyber Bear and, uh, but it would be a bar. Where you could, uh, you know, take a walk on the wild side. Come to Cyber Bear. Adam, thank you so much for this interview. I learned a lot um, about identity theft and awareness and self-vigilance. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us today. Well, listen, thank you for inviting me. And never forget my favorite phrase, scaring is caring. Barcode patrons, if you enjoyed this episode and want an easy way to support the podcast, please leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you're not on a Mac or iPhone, just visit the barcodepodcast.com slash reviews. I appreciate all the support. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.